Access Division 33, the official podcast of Division 33 of the American Psychological Association, a group of professionals dedicated to science and practice in the area of intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism spectrum disorder. In each episode, we'll speak with a different member of our division, discussing their work and why it's important to the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and those who support them. Hello, and welcome to Access Division 33. I'm Dr. Jason Baker, a member of Division 33, and your host for today. Today we'll be talking about Down syndrome with Dr. Segan Hartley. Dr. Hartley is an Associate Professor of Human Development and Family Studies and the 100 Woman Chair in Human Ecology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her program of research is focused on identifying mechanisms that promote optimal development and well-being in individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities and their families. Specifically, her work examines how development and well-being are the result of interactions between biology, psychosocial factors, and the environment. Hi, Dr. Hartley, welcome. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Very good, and you're gonna talk a little bit about Down syndrome. Yeah, um, so Down syndrome is a um, developmental disability that we know occurs in about one in 700 live births in the United States. Um, and it is um, related to a set of phenotypic features. Many people are familiar with how individuals with Down syndrome may appear in terms of having a flatter face, a short neck. Um, there's also, it's also associated with uh, medical conditions, so loose joints, um, uh, heart disease as well early on, as well as thyroid problems um, and sleep apnea. And it's related to a set of cognitive impairments. So um, people with Down syndrome uh, most often have mild to moderate levels of intellectual disability, but there's also a subset with more severe and profound um, intellectual disability. And, and what does that look like over time as these individuals age? Yeah, so aging um, and Down syndrome has become um, sort of a hot research topic of late, and we know that this is a population that's vulnerable to experiencing problems with aging. Um, now specifically, um, Down syndrome is caused by having um, a third copy of chromosome 21. So most people have two copies of chromosome 21. Um, what we know is that one of the genes that um, produces um, a protein called amyloid beta, so the gene is the amyloid beta precursor protein, um, is located on chromosome 21. And so as a result of having three copies of this chromosome, individuals with Down syndrome overproduce amyloid beta. And amyloid beta is one of the earliest um, changes we see in the brain when we think about Alzheimer's disease, um, and that's both within the Down syndrome population, but also more broadly. Um, so because they're overexpressing amyloid beta, um, individuals with Down syndrome have an early onset of Alzheimer's and an increased risk. So um, compared to the general population, um, Alzheimer's disease is pretty rare before the age of 50. We see an increase in the prevalence with about um, a third of individuals who are um, age 85 and above having Alzheimer's disease. When you think about Down syndrome, um, about 9% of individuals in their 40s have Alzheimer's disease, um, about a third of individuals in their 50s, and about half of individuals in their 60s and 70s. So uh -huh. substantially increased risk. 
And, and what kind of symptoms are we talking about with Alzheimer's? Yeah, so Alzheimer's disease is a progressive um, decline in cognitive functioning and memory that eventually will hinder everyday life activities. Um, and um, with Alzheimer's disease, we know that the changes that occur, that occur in the brain um, happen about um, one to two decades prior to any clinical symptoms. So, and we're also seeing evidence of that same pattern in Down syndrome. So individuals with Down syndrome will begin to to accumulate this amyloid beta, this protein in the brain. And what this protein does is it clusters together into um, plaques. And these plaques sit in between neurons and they interfere with the ability of neurons to communicate. Um, And this accumulation of amyloid beta is really one of the earliest changes that occurs and then leads to um, a sequence of cascading events. So we get neurofibrillary tangles of tau and then a whole um, host of other brain changes. But it's one of the earliest hallmark features. Um, And so we, so growing evidence suggests that virtually all adults by the time they're in their late 40s um, are showing marked evidence of these amyloid beta plaques. Well, we do see um, amyloid beta accumulate in virtually all um, brains of individuals who are in their late 40s um, and after. We still see a lot of variability. So um, right now, the field is really moving to thinking about um, this as, as Down syndrome is really sort of being a, a genetic um, form of Alzheimer's disease. The oh. fact that virtually everyone, if you live long enough, will sort of um, develop it if you have the triplication of this APP gene, this amyloid beta precursor gene. Um, One aspect of my research, though, is to look at some pathways to to, um, being able to support resilience in this group who has this genetic risk. So while we do see um, amyloid beta in all the brains after your late 40s, some individuals begin to accumulate amyloid beta um, in different regions of the brain in their early 30s, whereas others don't accumulate it until their late 40s. So we do see a pretty wide um, variability in terms of when that first occurs. We also know that, you know, while 9% of individuals with Down syndrome have clinical symptoms of Alzheimer's um, in their 40s, many will live into their 60s and 70s without it. So there is this variability, um, and one aspect that we're looking into is how can modifiable lifestyle factors explain part of this variability. Um, There's evidence that lifestyle does play um, a significant role in thinking about Alzheimer's pathology in the general population even in other groups who have a genetic risk. So those who have a family history of of an early onset of Alzheimer's disease, we see some evidence of that. So in our lab, we're really trying to look at what lifestyle factors could we modify for adults with Down syndrome to be able to improve cognitive functioning for an extra five, 10, maybe even 15 years. Um, So some of the lifestyle factors where we have been looking at are um, sleep, um, leisure activity, employment, um, social engagement, um, as well as diet. And what kind of activities? Yeah, so um, you know, one of our one of the recent um, studies that that we just published, looking at this, looked at leisure activities. So we looked at three different domains. So um, we looked at one, the first domain being cognitively stimulating leisure activities. So this would be things like um, reading, emailing, playing um, word games on the computer. The second category was physical leisure. So these were things like um, walking, swimming, lifting weights. And the last category was social engagement. So how often were they having conversations with others, going out to dinner with others, going to social gatherings? 
Um, and so what we did is look at how um, engagement in these three different types of leisure was related to episodic memory. So we did this in a sample of individuals who were aged 30 to, to 50 um, who did not have clinical um, Alzheimer's disease yet. And so what we wanted to know is prior to becoming symptomatic, um, can we think about modifying lifestyle factors to really prevent that onset? So we wanted to look at naturally, are those who are engaged in more of these leisure activities, um, are they gonna show better cognitive functioning and are they going to show um, a lower rate of accumulation of amyloid beta? So what we found in this study is that leisure activity across all three domains um, did not, um, correlate with level of amyloid beta. Um, now, in part, I should mention that the biggest predictor of Alzheimer's disease in the Down syndrome population and the general population is age. So in Down syndrome, age um, is correlated with um, amyloid beta at a 0.7, so they're very strongly correlated. So this is a process that we know that people are naturally sort of marching to. So we actually didn't see that leisure activity could prevent that sort of natural marching towards increased levels of amyloid beta. But what we did see is that leisure activity acted as a moderator of the link between change in amyloid beta across three years, so two time points, um, the, the amount at which that amyloid beta increased during those three years, and the decline in episodic memory. So for individuals who were engaged in a low level of leisure um, at baseline, for those individuals, as their um, amyloid beta increased, their episodic memory declined. However, for individuals who engaged in a high level of leisure at baseline, um, there was no association between their level of amyloid beta and their cognitive decline, and they weren't declining very much. Um, so we think these are exciting results and something we want to follow up with in a longitudinal model so we can assess people over time and really begin to learn if um, leisure activity, if we could develop programs that would increase leisure activity, would this be a way that we can maintain cognitive functioning for more years? Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for doing this work and thanks for doing this podcast. Thank you very much. Please tune into our next episode when we interview another leader in the field of IDD and ASD research. If you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please visit our Division 33 website at www.division33.org and use our contact page with the subject line, Podcast. To all those professionals working in the field, thank you for the work you do. And to those individuals with IDD and ASD, and those who support them, we're here to help.